Hi, this is Des, and you're listening to Delving with Des podcast. Hi, you're with Des at Delving with Des, and we're so privileged today to have Terry Muldoon with us. And Terry's the principal of St. Columbus Anglican School, and so we're going to talk to Terry about his life and times and what ha- is happening at St. Columba. Mm-hmm. It's a really good, uh, a good thing to do. So, Terry, welcome to Delving with Des. Thank you, Des. Lovely to have you here. Oh, that's really cool. So tell me about about Terry. Tell me about your background. Tell me all the interesting things, all the bad things, ah. all the good things. Right. I was born in Lismore, lived in a, in South Lismore. Oh, right. Uh, the Muldoons have been in the Lismore region for since about 1875. Wow. If you go to places like Lismore when it's not underwater, yes. you'll probably find nearly as many Muldoon relatives as your world rabbits. So wow. we're all over the place. Wow. Everything from... The poultry pavilion that being named after my grandfather to you name it. Wow. So Lismore is the Lismore is where the family family moved from Ireland. Um, There's a couple of various stories about how that happened. So whether a convict or not convict. Not convict, no Uh. free settler. Um, There was some religious fighting in the background somewhere and depends which version of the story you hear. Our family were the good guys or the bad guys who got out of town before someone could get them back for something they had done. Oh. But they ended up in Brisbane aiming for the north coast of New South Wales only to find out that you couldn't get from Brisbane to the north coast. So they eventually went to Sydney, ah. spent some time in Sydney and then headed up the coast uh, via the inland, via the tablelands, with a bullock dray and uh, settled at a place called Loftville just south of Lismore. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Wow, it's so, good to have that history. And you mentioned before we came on air that Jesse went back to Ireland to yes, I've to been test back. And, uh, we've been back. My father and uncles and aunts went back four or five times before I finally got there. But we went back there, and um, my wife and I and travelled around and found the town of Knockbride where the family came from, and got to open the big book and look at the birth records of the family and uh, we left there and we were heading south and it was we got sick of driving on the big expressway so we veered off to the side and it was a Sunday morning and we ended up in this town and we parked and looked up and there's stained glass in front of you with the family crest on it. Wow. Uh, TJ Muldoon's pub and bar. Oh there you go. (laughs) And so we went in there and uh, they said I said are you open? They said "Uh, we're open for a coffee but we won't serve you beer until Mass is finished. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> so we stayed there for a while and just down the road was Muldoon's uh, Butchers and The Undertakers. Oh, right. <laughs> so, this was a family yeah, time. <laughs> so there's a few around there. So I don't know if they're related or not, but uh, it was interesting to go back and have a quick look at the roots of the family. Yeah, it's amazing the statistics around the percentage of Australians who claim Irish descent. 80% and at one stage yeah, that's during right. the 1800s Yeah, were Irish. I think it's a bit less than that now, but yeah. I heard 60 65%. And it it's probably true. Probably is about that. So, mm. so what are your memories of growing up in Lismore? Floods. <laughs> Not Even surprising. Then? Oh, Even yes, then? I can remember being out. At, well, my family moved when I was about three and a half. My father was a butter maker. Oh, Norco. right. Right. Had uh, been Foley's before Norco. And he moved up to be chief buttermaker in Tenderfield. So we used to go down every three or four weeks from Tenderfield to Lismore on what was at that time and is still considered one of the worst and most dangerous roads in is New South Wales. What's yeah. it called? Uh, the highway from Tenderfield. Is it got a special name or is it got like... Uh, the Bruxner Highway. The Bruxner Highway. At that highway. stage, significant amounts of it were gravel 
and oh. coming down through the Malangany Ranges was at least exciting, <laughs> if not a bit traumatic as you quietly threw up out in the back of the car. Oh dear. But uh, yeah. we would come down, we got trapped there, I think I would have been about five or six uh, on the grandfather's farm and eventually they sent out the army ducks oh. to, into the next, around the paddocks to actually take us back to the main part of town or out towards Casino so we could get back to Tenderfield. Oh wow. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I um, just thought the floods were, you know, because of global ah, uh, no, warming no, and all no. that stuff, but they've been Liz, there forever. Yeah, Lismore is, well, it's in the wrong place. Uh, Lismore is a really good example of what, how market forces shouldn't make decisions because Lismore was supposed to be at a place called Korokai further down the river. Ah, okay. But it was the um, timber getters and the boat captains liked it because there was a junction of two rivers, the Wilson and the Richmond, ah. and so they could turn around the boats. Ah, cool. So yeah, they yeah. picked a place that floods more than anywhere else, and probably in New South Wales. It's colder in winter, hotter in summer, and the last floods you've seen, what can really happen when you throw yeah. in climate change is an extra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was funny. I was uh, up seeing family in Brisbane just around the time of mm. the floods, and, and I couldn't get down the high, main yep. highway, so I had to go down through Lismore, uh, and it was just devastating It is what it did to the town. Well, it had, I don't crazy. think the town had actually recovered from the previous no, floods a few years no. before. Yeah. And, uh, well, the, the school I taught at in Lismore for a period, uh, Trinity Catholic, the site there no longer exists. The nuns oh, really? have been there for 140, 150 years. The brothers wow. had been there for, I think, about 80 or 90 years. Wow. And both sites... Uh, will never open again. Wow. And just, just because it's flood. The flood, yeah, because yeah. the flood, I mean, the cathedral there is, St. Carthage's Cathedral is on the hill, but it had you know, four or five foot of water there. The old convent, which is, of course, historically raided, it had water going all the way through it. And so the school now has been divided in two. Half it's gone out to the boarding school I went to at Woodlawn, and the other half are on the campus of Southern Cross University. Oh, wow. Wow. So, it's not the only one. Richmond River High School will never open again. Oh. It's been declared a disaster. So, yeah, the town, I haven't been back properly since the floods. But oh, right, okay. I will go and have a look eventually. Yeah. I just don't know how yeah, depressed I want to be. Well, exactly. That's the problem. Is mm. So tell me about your, your personal life. I mean, you're mm-hmm. married, you got kids, yep. grand, great grandkids, I do, whatever. Uh, not quite <laughs> to the great. No, I grew up in Lismore, started, then went to Tenderfield up on oh, the Oh, you moved lands. to Tenderfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you know, minus five, minus seven stuff. Wow. You know, bike riding, swimming, you know, just living the, the real country life as sure. a kid. Went to the Catholic um, primary school there. Uh, eventually moved to the high school for a year, and which stage my family decided that they had bought a business that was open about 362 days a year as a oh, cafe, wow. caravan, oh, uh, right, okay, yeah. etc. Uh, to say I was not focusing on my education would be an understatement. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's a headmaster should be saying. Uh, I don't <laughs> mind telling the kids this. <laughs> But after a number of warnings, one morning I got up and my mother said, you don't have to go to school today. And I thought, well, this is Christmas, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. That's right. <laughs> uh, by five o'clock that afternoon, I was in another state. Oh. I had a school suit. I had blazer, greys, a rugby outfit, and I knew I was in deep trouble. Oh. I'd been sent to Downlands College in Toowoomba. Oh. One oh, of only right. three New South Welshmen in the whole school. So oh. around um, you know, football time with state yes. of origin and stuff, it was yes. a dangerous place to be. But, <laughs> but yeah, I got sent there for a couple of years. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much. I, yeah. I think at boarding school there are those who love it, sure. those who tolerate it, and those who are tortured half to death in it. And I've yeah. seen all of them. Um, 
I was kind of in the middle ground. Right. And my next brother actually got a scholarship to Downlands and a scholarship to a school in Lismore called Woodlawn College, <laughs> which is just out of town. And my parents said, well, he's going to take one of them. Which one do you think? And I thought, hmm, I think I'll move back south. So I recommended Woodlawn. So from year 10 to 12, I went to Woodlawn. Oh, right, right. Interestingly, uh, two of my brothers joined me there eventually. But interestingly, in year 12, my family moved back to Lismore. And my brothers were paroled from boarding school, uh, but my parents left me there. Oh, really? <laughs> in fact, I could stand on the Oval and see our house. Oh, I was wow. still a full-time boarder. Oh, they dear. obviously did not believe I had changed my ways. Oh, right. You needed a bit more. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, then from that, picked up a scholarship, a couple of scholarships, but I picked up one to go to the University of New England in Armidale. Oh, right. To study education. Went there, did four years there. and uh, So why did you decide education? Did you, because you went to school and you yeah. didn't particularly enjoy it. Oh, uh, so I I didn't enjoy boarding so much. Look, I'll be honest, most teachers become a teacher because of a teacher. Yeah. It's like ah, okay. priests and brothers and nuns yeah. and the religious. There's yeah. almost always a person. Ah, uh, right. That That's interesting. Spirit, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a fire starter on your barbecue. Uh, mine was a history teacher in year 10. He was quite remarkable, well ahead of his time. Uh, plus, I think I fell in love with the movie to, and the book To Serve With Love. Oh, right. Ah, and cool. I think that was probably the germ... That started right. then seeing this teacher and then a scholarship and yeah. the idea that I could go to university for four years, according to my mother, to avoid working, <laughs> um, took me to teaching. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. We're talking to Terry Muldoon, the principal of St Columbus Anglican School. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about his journey in getting to St Columbus School. We'll be back shortly. You were listening to Delving With This. Well, we're back again and we're talking to Terry Muldoon, who's the principal of St Columbus Einligan School. And so we talked before the break about Terry growing up in Lismore and the impact of that. And we're going to talk now about Terry's journey from, I guess, from Lismore to getting to St Columbus Einligan School in Port Macquarie. So, Terry, tell us that journey. Right. Um, I went down to Sydney after I graduated to visit some friends and um, was still not 100% certain I was designed to be a teacher. Uh, and towards the end of this Christmas holidays, a job came up at a place in Cogra, Morris Brothers Cogra. Oh, right, right. Which turned out to be a bit of a shock for a country boy. Morris yes. Brothers Cogra had, to my knowledge, between 27 and 32 different ethnic groups wow. represented of in course, that school. Of course, come from Lismore, which is very much white. Very white bread. Yeah, very white yeah. It's either... Baptist, Anglican, Catholic or Methodist. Yeah. <laughs> ah, but there, of course, are the Italians who have only been there for 100 years since yeah. 1870, <laughs> of which I'm related to both a northerner and a southerner who never ah. speak to each other. But, yeah, it was a bit of a shock and um, it started out okay. Went through a rough period because I was trying to teach the way I'd been taught, which wasn't necessarily the best way. Yeah. But eventually I adapted my teaching and really started enjoying it. Yes. Um, Spent a lot of time focusing in classes. They gave me classes that was a boys' school, and they tended to give me bottom classes, which I actually oh. found out I love. I mean, my first major class was 10E5, and 10E6 weren't even allowed on campus. Oh, really? So I had a very interesting class. I've actually, in the past few years, actually made, had contact made with a couple of students who are in that class. Uh, and I think my first year nine history class had 42, 43 students and 42 desks. 
Oh. But as one oh, of the wow. kids pointed out, sir, I'm a dwarf, I don't take up much room. <laughs> so the idea of small classes is really so anathema. In those days, was it like generic teaching? She had de- uh, taught yes all and subjects? No. Yes and no. It depended. Being and having some of the bottom classes, it meant they gave you a certain freedom to give the, to engage the kids. And that's what I found really worthwhile. If you engage the kids, they'll, ah, learn, yeah. they'll listen to you. They'll respond. Um, yeah. Later on, I, I did a lot of research and that and found out, because at one stage spent some time as a part-time consultant on classroom management and right. behavior, teaching students of higher levels of difficulty, shall we say. Um, if the kids like the teacher, they'll give the subject a chance, even if they don't like the, te- the subject. Yes. And so yes. teaching is a relational thing. It's incredibly yes. relational. And if you get that at least vaguely right... Everything will follow. I used to argue. But you're making teaching sound easy. Ah, it's when it works. It's one of the most glorious feelings in the world. When it's wrong, it's self-eviscerating. But yeah, yeah, I've argued a lot with people over the years who said, "No, depth of knowledge is more important than engagement." I said, "If you can have engagement, you can get depth of knowledge." Yes. So a few years there, and uh, then I moved up to the Central Coast and taught at the Christian Brothers there, which, coming from a Morris Brothers school to Christian Brothers, was. Worse than moving from North and South Island. I mean, it's oh, interesting really? within the... Ca- oh, yeah. The, it was c- when I told someone I was moving from a Morris school to a Christian, they said, so you're going to the dark side, are you? Wow. Yeah, the, so yeah. what was it, if I can ask, what's it, the the mindset around the, the lack of agreement or whatever that was? It, it was it's just like football teams to a certain extent. Oh, really? really. Oh, okay. And given both yeah. the Morris and the Christies are mad football, football mad, their culture. Yeah. Uh, the Maris were French originally in origin. Yes. The Christies, of course, were Irish. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was there was a level of competitiveness. Wow, so that's interesting. I spent five years there, honing my craft, and then eventually, uh, my mother got cancer and died oh, while I was there. So right. I had married in this stage yes. and two children, and we decided to move back to the north coast. Yeah. And uh, I applied for a job at Trinity Catholic College. Now, in Lismore. In Lismore. And now, that was an amalgam of the Maris and the presentation order. Oh, right. The right. school I went to was about five or six K out of town, which is the Maris Father. And like the Christies and the Marists, fierce rivalry. Oh. Absolutely <laughs> fierce rivalry. So I was actually referred to as a traitor by some people. Wow. But I spent 16 years there. I am um, assistant head of English, um, year master. Eventually, though, I took on a role that had started a few years called the Employment Preparation Program. Oh, right. It was right. for all the kids that no one wanted. Oh, helping uh, them to get to yeah. leave school and get into the workforce yeah. or something. Trinity yeah. had about 1,540 children, 7 to 12, when I was there. And so there was this group of kids who were in 11 and 12 who were non-academic, and I always thought there was something to be done there. So after it had been running for two years, someone, uh, we, a pair of us took it over, and eventually I ran it myself. From year nine through to twelve, wow! And these were the kids no one wanted, so we pulled out of the HSC and we did TVET some vet courses. I think in the last five years we had a hundred percent placement or employment. Wow, that's in amazing! In Lisbon, which had a 22 percent youth unemployment record. Wow! And these kids are now real estate agents, pub owners, engineers, believe it or not, even teachers. So, what was the key? to taking those kids and bringing them from a, an area where I guess they felt mm. they had no hope to giving them an opportunity to get into the workplace and get They called themselves sweat hogs, having watched Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh, right, okay. And, they sort of, and so I focused on the fact that they were important. Yes, that's good. And we used, I used to say that the smart kids are so dumb they don't even know what they don't know. So that if <laughs> a kid who was 
going to go even do medicine. We had one come down and ask me to help him do his resume. I'd let one of my students help him. Wow. And they would say, yeah, we know stuff. You know? They'd go out <laughs> at least once a week to do work experience. They'd look at things. We talked about how to do it. For instance, one of the big things we taught in interview skills was how to run an interview because a lot of them were going to work for as apprentices in small companies and these people had never done an interview before. They'd got the job from their next-door neighbour or their uncle or their dad yes, and they didn't know how to the run an interview. Or whatever, so yeah. we had to teach these kids how to run the interview if the person interviewing them didn't know how. And they became quite good at it. That's amazing. A couple of them, I mean, one guy won four or five awards working for one of the big uh, pharmacy firms. He's up in Brisbane. Another one got offered four or five scholarships to do um, resort management because he was originally from Vanuatu and he was going to go back over there and he was offered all kinds of scholarships so that he could learn and go back over there and run one of the big resorts. So these kids were quite amazing and interesting. I still run into them occasionally. They stopped ringing me at one o'clock in the morning at parties, which is good. (laughs) My son actually is employed to them. Oh, right. They were were a couple of years ahead of him. But, uh, yeah, two of them work for him and his painting and decorating and roofing company. Wow. Yeah, nearly all of them are still alive and still working and... Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's great to look back on that and say, you know, I had such an influence mm. on these, you know, no-hoper kids, yes, for yeah. one better term, who have turned their lives around through your influence. That's amazing. Yeah, and believe me, I've, after a few years, the uh, marriage breakup, yada yada, I decided to leave town. Oh. Uh, and I had been working as a consultant in classroom management and I'd done a bit, couple of days of work at a school in Coffs Harbour and they rang me and said one day and said, we've got a deputy principal's job going, we think you should apply. And I thought, oh, I'll throw my hat in the ring, got the shock of my life, got the job. Well, if they're recommending you apply, mm. that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> and having dealt with the hardest kids in the school of 1500, yeah. being deputy principal in a fairly well-off school was well, that's good. Easy yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Easy job. Yeah. Well, I mean, boarding school, you spend 24 hours a day trying to get around the rules. Then you teach these kids who are always trying to get around this. So the kids in coughs, they were, they were amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. I loved being there. And uh, So what does a vice principal do as opposed to a principal? You basically make the place work. So, like so an you've got a school council manager. runs the school, like the yeah, school. Yeah. Then you've got the principal underneath that. Yeah. And that's the conduit between... Governance, policy, and operational. He's the head yeah. of operation, and you basically actualize it. Okay, troubleshoot. Trouble yeah. yeah, deal. Or you, you never know on any given day what's going to happen. If yeah. you've got a diary that's got gaps in it, you know you're in trouble because something's going to happen. Yeah. But you, <laughs> yeah. it's never the same day. So, did you enjoy doing that? It sounds as if you did. It. Yeah. In fact, I remarried while I was there, and after five and a bit years, my wife said to me. If you don't watch out, you're going to become very boring. And I said, what do you mean? I'm thinking, this is not good. (laughs) She said, the kids all know what you want and they'll do it. They they won't cross you. The principal's doing what you want. Yeah. It's getting too easy. Yeah. She said, how about we look for a new job somewhere else and the first one to get it, the other one will follow. And about that time, this job came up. Coincidentally, the person who had been the foundation principal of this school had been deputy principal in Coffs, and I replaced him there. Oh, wow. And I replaced him again here, and which is really good because we are totally different human beings, very different yeah. in our approach, demeanour and everything. And so I knew that some people were going to get a shock and some people were going to get a relief. Yeah. So I came yeah. down here, and um, it had about, oh, about 500 students at that stage. Right, right. Might have been a bit more. Wow. Um, 
and um, settled in. It was, uh, yeah, it's been never been dull. I <laughs> could. Oh, we're talking to Terry Muldoon, who's the principal of St Columbus Andean School. So we're going to talk about the St Columbus School in a minute. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back shortly. You were listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Delving with Des, and we're talking to Terry Muldoon, who's the principal of St Columba Andean School in Port Macquarie. Now, I have to tell you, I uh, actually went to your website and had a look at the website, and I found a mistake. Ah! I found a mistake on the website. My PA will... No, no, this is interesting, <laughs> because um, I was looking at St Columba, where St Columba came from, and, and he comes from Donegal in Ireland, oh, as you right. said. But you'd said it was part of Northern Ireland. Ah, Whereas Donegal is actually part of the Republic that of Ireland. It is too, yes. Yeah. I'd never noticed that in there. there you I've go. been to Iona. Yeah, oh, I have yeah. actually been yeah, there. Yeah, yes, yeah. A delightful place it was. Um, there's photos of it in our um, boardroom. And we actually had someone from Sky come and visit one day and looked at it and said, These photos have been touched up beautifully. And I said, haven't been touched up. He said, but the sky's blue. The sky <laughs> is right. never blue on Iona. It's always grey. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to Donegal every year with my family mm. for holidays and a little place called Port New. Mm, don't know. It was no. in, uh, just on the coast, a little little fishing town, really. But, uh, yeah, so I, point, I thought I'd point that Thank out. Thank you very yeah. much. I shall so we, chase that We can get that, get that fixed. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your journey here at St. Columba. The school was started by a gentleman, the Reverend Canon Dr. John Barrett. Wow. Um, who has been mayor. And you don't have such titles, I presume. Not even slightly. <laughs> John Barrett, if you were looking up a dictionary and had a picture, uh, a definition of a Christian gentleman, you'd see a picture of John Barrett there. Oh, right. Um, he said he was bringing back the tradition because the Anglican Church was the first, church, uh, first place in yeah. the town to offer schooling. Uh, and so his determination was to set up a school so that parents who wanted an Anglican or faith-based school didn't have to send their kids to boarding school in Sydney, Newcastle. Yes, Alameda. yes. Uh, and his other thing was he wanted to provide the level of education in this town that you could get in Sydney. Wow, now, what a great you, goal. If you look at uh, the research, there are a number of research papers that say that regional, rural and remote students are massively educationally disadvantaged. Yes, we acknowledge that research to be true, except we don't accept it for our school. Oh, wow. That's so great. So we are in the top 100 schools in the HSC, or 150 at worst, for the last 10 years. Wow. We probably can say with some veracity we are the most outstanding regional school in New South Wales based on NAPLAN, HSC and sporting and cultural events. I'm sure the other schools in Port Macquarie, and there's a few uh, other Christian-based schools, you know, would, would envy that, that sort of view. Well, I, I'm the family, when I got here, the executive principal of the Catholic schools and the Catholic schools, yeah. the Catholic hierarchy in this town is it's huge, phenomenal. Yeah. Father yeah. Leo, someone should write a book about the man who basically ignored bishops and did what he wanted for his community. Jim O'Brien was the executive, and Jim's family and mine... I've known each other for 40, 50 years. Oh, wow. Uh, it's quite interesting. In my interview, I was actually asked, you know, they said your predecessor had a slightly rocky uh, relationship with the Catholics. What's yours? And I said, well, Jim and family might have known each other. I've worked with two of his brothers. I know him. Yeah. I know where his family's skeletons are. He knows where mine is. <laughs> There's no use fighting. Yeah. Jim was very lovely. I remember John Barrett telling me that he spoke to Jim and Father Leo, and Jim said that when St. Columba came to town... 
McKillop had ruled. Yes. For yes. 20 years. Everybody then had to lift because a new, a new player wow. had come in and he said so. All the boats had to lift to stay competitive. And, um, wow. So that's been it. Um, we're not an academic school, but we do incredibly well academically. So what do you say it's not an academic school? We don't you test kids before they come in. We test oh, kids oh, just to okay. find out right. what they can do and what we need to help them. Oh, so right, we're not right. a selective school like that. Yeah. But we still get great results. That huge building just behind me is our Performing Arts Centre. Wow. Uh, 60-80% of kids are involved in the Performing Arts. We've produced an Australian ballet dancer, a Queensland ballet dancer, singers. Wow. So, but again, we're not a Performing Arts School, but we take great delight yes. in beating Performing Arts Schools in sure. Stanford. And when I got here, sport was... I would call it the runt of the litter. Oh, uh, people who John, couldn't do anything yeah. else when it was uh, sport. Well, John, and a lot of kids, <laughs> boys left to go to the Catholics because they did sport better. John uh, nearly went to the Olympics for shot put. Uh, wow. Played first grade cricket and rugby and that. Said, you know, your predecessor wasn't a great sportsman, but I, I know you played rugby and you're a forward and forwards don't step back. <laughs> I want you to do something about this. So we've worked on sport and... It's gone from what I would call run to the litter to a 14-stone rotwheeler now. Wow. They just keep wow. winning and it's driving me crazy because there are buses constantly. I think our soccer players are up to the final four. I'm supposed to call it football these days. Are up to the final four in the state in the Bill Turner Cup. They've ta- wow. taken out two Sydney schools and they're down to a third one now. We have a, an elite sporting group. We've produced kids who are at AIS now on sports scholarships. So, so how did you go about doing that? How, I mean, how do you take a, from you know the run of the litter, as you said, yeah. and make it into such a highly successful sporting school? Well, we were already successful academically, so that's okay. And performing arts were crazily successful. And so we had what I call, early days, a series of what I call strategic conversations where anybody who was interested turn up, I'd give you afternoon tea, try to shut up and let people talk. <laughs> and for sport, I called them all down, they all turned up and I said, I would like sport to do much better. Sport complains that the performing arts get everything. That's because they're all crazy. <laughs> they do stupid things, they have stupid hours, they put all this effort in. But they're committed, And I want to know, right? yeah, yeah. I want to, if sport wants to get up, they've got to do that. Now tell me what you're going to do. Yeah. And from that point on, we grew and grew and grew. Our head of sport at the moment is an Olympian. We've, you know, we, sport is. We've started our own sporting club. It's called the Iona Sport, which we were told we will never be allowed to do. I'd be ridden out of town, but courtesy wow. of um, the good offices of one of our soccer coaches, who is a brilliant coach. She believes good people make good players, and he's wow. amazing. We got permission, and uh, I think we're the one of the biggest soccer and netball Clubs in town after only what four or five years of operation. Wow, that's amazing! That's what an amazing claim to fame. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant because ah, we yeah. all know that children once they get into sport, it changes everything in yeah. their world. That's mm. and, and that's amazing. You do that yeah. along with all the other things you guys are doing. Oh, that's amazing! I mean, here I am. I can walk without falling over on a good day, and I'm in charge of one of the best dance schools <laughs> in New South Wales. I mean, we actually examine at Royal Academy of Dance. Oh level. wow! Wow. Yeah, they told me a couple of years ago they wanted to do that. And I said, that's great, you know, because we've got kids who want to do that and save them having to go to Sydney. And I said, the problem is, of course, you've got to get examiners up here to do that because it's... They yeah. said, um, you do know that three of your staff are examiners in the Royal Academy of Dance and, I, and the only oh. ones on the North Coast. And I went, I should have known that, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as it is, they've done well and uh, their teacher is an ex-Australian ballet dancer. Well, so let me ask you, in terms of... Uh, the school growth and clearly it's a, a school that has been growing. Uh, how has those extracurricular 
extracurricular stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Uh, sports and so on influenced the whole school. It's it's interesting as we probably have more kids doing, for instance, in performing arts, we probably have five or ten times the number of children involved in co-curricular performing arts who actually study the performing arts. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. And it's a bit the same with sport too, although PDHP is incredibly popular in the senior school. So, yeah, it's it's an adjunct, but it's a very real part of the school life. So how does it compare then to the, the um, school equivalent schools and the rest of Port Macquarie or Kempsey or even Foster, Tyree, wherever? Um, it's... The same but different. I think our, chance our, to build our, your focus, trumpet, no, our focus <laughs> is we focus on three things. Excellence, yeah. effectiveness and enterprise. That's good. We start with the concept that excellence is achievable. You just yes. gotta do it. It's yeah. Excellence isn't just some magical or mystery thing. It's the result of constant action. Yes. Effectiveness is setting up the administration and the functions that hold excellence together. Yeah, that's good. And enterprise is looking for a chance taking the chance. Yes, for the taking the risk. Yeah. Like, oh, I love um, that. When we, they established a university next door, we now have our year 10s can now do a university preparation course in year 10, which will guarantee them a place. Wow. And some of them actually study undergraduate courses in year 11. Well, that's amazing. Um, that's great. That's so is this Stuart University next Charles door? Charles Sturt, literally next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. So, what a great thing to put in place. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Mm. Yeah. So we, we do lots of things, and we would hope in the future... We are looking, talking to them about possibly the purchase of some land between us where we'd like to set up basically a university preparation high school. Um, we acknowledge the fact that probably 97, 98% of our year 11s and 12s will go into university, yes. either after a gap year in either Australia or overseas. And we believe that the gap between secondary and tertiary is a false gap. Yes. It's been created by history and it's a time history caught up. Oh, that's a great idea. So, so are you in the planning stage of that? Or oh, we are. Well, once they get their act together, because they've been going through a strategic oh. But what we are doing, we teach under a mode called deep learning, which oh, came right. out originally out of Canada, a guy called Michael Fallon. And it's based on the six C's of 21st century capacity, collaboration, communication, citizenship, character, etc. Wow. We started that journey about six years ago now. We sent a couple of people over to Canada the, uh, to the conference. We now actually... Our speakers at the conferences. Oh, wow. And the style of teaching there, rather than just disseminating information, is looking into depth, actually is much closer to the university. So we're finding the kids who get to university have less trouble adapting. Ah. We're also is, working. is that about helping children to learn how to learn? Yes, exactly. It. Yeah, okay. Instead of, you know, if you're working, you're looking at someone else's paper, it's cheating, but what if you're in, co in college or at uni? That's called collaboration. So ah, we do a lot of yeah, group yeah, work yeah. and things like that. So they're used to it. We're also working with the University of Melbourne on a thing called New Metrics. Ah. Uh, there's something like 175 countries in the world that are doing deep learning, but only one country is looking at how do you actually assess ah. this for the universities and jobs. And the University of Melbourne started that with 19 schools across Australia and we're invited to join. In fact, That's my correct. deputy and a couple of my senior staff are down at presenting at a, at a conference in Melbourne at the moment. Wow. That. So That's in the future that will either sit next to the ATAR yeah. or even gently wow. even shove it out of the way in the future. So it's a portfolio of skills and achievements rather than just a snapshot of marks. That's so good. We're talking to um, our dear friend Terry Muldoon from uh, St Columbus College and we're going to take a short break and we'll be back soon. You were listening to Delving With This. 
Hi, you're with Delving with Des, and we're talking to Terry Muldoon, the principal of St. Columbus Anglican School. And, and I have a question for you, Terry, because a lot of the things that are happening around the world today are all about artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and the impact of artificial intelligence on learning, on school essays and all, you know, results and all sorts of stuff. Give us your views on that whole area and how it'll affect St. Columbus, I guess. Well, when chat came out, the, yeah. the new AI open source, we figured there were two ways you could do it. You could run like hell yeah, in the yeah. opposite direction, say the world is ending, Chicken Little was right, uh, it should be banned. Yada, yada. We took a different approach, which some other organisations have done. We went, right, what is this stuff? Yes. What does it actually do? What yes. does it get right? What does it get wrong? Yeah. What are the problems that could cause us? Plagiarism, things like that. How can we use this tool? Yeah, that's the right answer, isn't and it? And we've got yeah. some people here who are experts in IT and they've been teaching the staff what it is. I'm stunned at the number of staff who are actually using it for, to set up uh, class lists, uh, set up assignments and things like that, and they're using it. It's not perfect. You can fool it. You can, yeah. It's still in developmental stage, but we figure it's not going away. Yeah, that's true. The world was going to end and no one was going to be able to count when uh, programmable calculators came in. Yes. And the world was going to end and everybody was going to be illiterate when spell check came in. <laughs> so this is just another reason the world is going to end because a technology has come along. Yeah. And in the, it's just technology is a great tool and it allows you master. Yeah. So if you use yeah. it, yes. understand it and know how to tame it, that's I think, education. I think that's fantastic, that view, because most of the things you read about it are, you know, it's going to end education as we know it, it's the end of Oh, it has know, implicit, individuality. implicit dangers. Yes. And yeah. misused could be a major problem. But humans, if nothing else, can adapt. Yes. The intelligent yeah. ones, they're the ones still alive, still walking around on one or two legs, depending on whether you've <laughs> just had your knee done the way I have. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, why... It's one of the luxuries, I suppose, of an independent school is if it's a good idea, we can do it. We yes. can adapt or we can manage it. We don't have to wait for Bridge Street in Sydney to come out with a policy. Yeah. We don't have to wait for the Catholic Education Office to tell us what we can do. Basically, if it's a good idea, we'll try it. And if it all goes wrong, they'll either sack the chair of council, which they won't do, or the principal. So <laughs> just at least another conversation about how effective your board is yep. in running the school. How does, how does that work? Okay, the board is effectively appointed by the bishop in Grafton, Bishop Murray. Yeah. He's a really good bishop to work with. Um, I have been very lucky. I've been with three chairs so far, John Barrett, uh, Dr Gordon Birch, who is one of the people who started Landcare, and currently Mrs Heather Norton, who used to work here and used to be a school principal. Yeah. And I have had massive support from them Isn't and the great? council. And uh, they have accepted all my crazy ideas and <laughs> arguments for doing things and they've come along for the ride. So, so having gone through all that, what is the vision for the future of Fritz and Columba? We are virtually full. Yeah. Uh, we want the bridge, we call, which is the link between the university and us. Yes, that's key. Uh, I, last week, last Friday, we attended a diocesan conference on creating new schools. Um, we were, have been invited to consider a, a second school further north in the oh, Kempsey right. area. Um, in which area? The Kempsey South West oh, Rocks oh, area. Oh, right, okay, right. Um, yeah, the general manager of um, Kempsey Shire and I were at a meeting once and he asked, someone asked me about where do our kids come from? I said they come from Harrington in the south, South West Rocks in the north and out to Long Flat. Really, that far? Yeah. Wow. 
Um, oh. oh, plus we have kids who come and stay here from Dubbo yeah. and places like that with yeah. families, so they can come in. Um, and I said, they said, oh, well, how many people come from Kempsey? And I said, I think about 75. There's about a bus and a half load or more. And this voice just across the road and he says, um, I'd like to stop that. And I thought, well, this could be interesting. And he said, oh, I'm the general manager of Kempsey Shore. I thought this could get really interesting. And he said, I said, and exactly how are you going to do that? And he said, by inviting the best school in New South Wales to come and set up a campus. Wow. So we're going to look at then COVID got in the road. But as of yeah. last week and on next week I'll be reporting to my school council, I think the concept of setting up a school somewhere around South West Rocks might happen. Wow, that's amazing. But in the meantime, we will continue to work on... See, my belief is school growth has two sides. There's growth in size, which is a lot of people are fascinated by. Yes. I am to a certain Growth in capacity. Explain the, the capacity difference to two. provide an exceptional, outstanding education uh, okay. that changes lives, that kids, wow. kids' opportunities. If you do that, your, your numbers will grow. There's yes. no question about yes. that. You, know, you get a reputation and people you know, yeah. build it, they will come stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the whole idea is for this school, it's going to have to figure out what it's going to do now that it's virtually full. Yeah, oh, right. Uh, it's going to have to figure out on some funding issues, the change in federal government funding because it's... Yeah, the families who are coming here have a higher what they call capacity to contribute. So we're worried that we don't want to become an exclusive school. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to focus on that. But at the same time, we're looking at we own childcare centre. We're working with the church in town now to set up a second one. We hope. Oh right, in town right. because there's a need there. There is no secondary school around the southwest rocks area, which is why um, they've asked us yes. to have a look at that. Wow. So we might do that. And I'm being replaced by my deputy principal. Oh, you are? They spent, did a national and international search for the third principal of St. Columbia Anglican School and it turned out he was two officers down the hallway. Wow. Well, so tell us about that journey that you're going through in terms of you know, what you're going to do, what you'd like to do mm. when you retire. Well, I decided ages ago that I wanted to go out under my own steam and not be tapped on the shoulder, as so many principals can be. And go before it was necessary to go. Because, and I think now is the right time for the school for me to go. And I hope it's the right time for me. Uh, the school is... I mean, there's a book I read on um, based around the history of the All Blacks. And it says, when you're on top of the game, change the game. Yes. And yes. I think it's time to change the leadership. And yes. we know leadership has a role to play in that. And sustainable leadership. So, yep, I take leave in a month's time. I'm wow. off to Oxford to finish a course I started ages ago. Oxford as in England? Yeah. Okay. And then I'm taking my wife for five weeks in Italy because I promised I would. Wow, I good for you, promised that would be the man. first thing That's I did brilliant. when I retired. And then my chair of council, when she retired as a principal, went and did a high-performance leadership course at Harvard University and loved it. So she said, I'm sending you to that course. Wow. And I said, but I'm retiring. She said, yes, but you won't. She said, no, no, exactly. your personality <laughs> doesn't sit still. So this will be an entree to the next stage in so your life. So any thoughts about what you'd like to do? What are uh, passionate about, maybe? Or? Stop using work as an excuse not to be fit. Ah, uh, yes. I've lost my saying. excuse now because I've had my knee, which I smashed up oh. 40 years ago playing rugby and surfing. That's fixed now, so I've lost that excuse. Uh. I won't have work so I can get fit. Spend some time with my wife. Uh, I might do some local work leaving oh, right. principal job. Oh, right. I might get back into community radio again. Yeah. Uh, or podcasting, my wife tells me it'd be better. Um, but I'm you, can, you can do both. But go, like, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go back to reading, listening to music. And nice. 
Doing a bit of travel. I, I think all, you're, the, all the boring things that people talk about. Yeah, I, th- I think you're like me. You couldn't just sit and read a book no, four or um, five I, days a week. I've had to promise my wife I'd, before the end of the year I'd come up with five things I'm going to do in my life yeah. to make sure she doesn't have to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you were to, as you know, the principal of the school, being a long-term Port Macquarie person, what message would you give to the people of the greater Port Macquarie area you know, about life, about school, about whatever it is that you're passionate about. This is a great place to live and it's going to get better. Let's ignore the traffic and yes. the holiday traffic. We've got two universities here. We've got a full medical school. We've got a university. We've got excellent choices in education, some really good breakfast places, a couple yes. of great cafes, yes. some nice restaurants, um, and it's, it's a grown-up town. Yes. I know people from Warhope still think it's an up itself <laughs> fishing village, but it is. And hopefully it won't go the way of Byron Bay and places yeah. like that that yeah. take themselves too seriously. I mean, we're drawing people from all over Australia to come and live here. Yeah. And as I said, I was going to stay here three to five years. 16 years later, I'm yeah. not going anywhere. No, exactly. It's been really great to interview you, Terry. It's Thank been you very a, much, a lot, of, lot of fun. And uh, I've got to know you an awful lot better, which is great, <laughs> and the community will too. So I just want to thank you for your time. I wish you best in your retirement. Thank you, sir. Uh, you've been listening to Delving with Des, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Des. You have been listening to the podcast of Delving with Des.